I wanted to start with some breaking news that I saw really? this afternoon, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I saw. I was I, saw, I was. I was on Twitter and I saw a tweet and it said that the the long standing and long standing, pretty much ancient RNZ host, um, Brian Crump, a replacement has been found for him and Thank it's going to be that. the regular host. <laughs> of this time slot, Karen Hay. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness for that. That's that. I, it's interesting you say that. I know there'll be a lot of haters out there, you know, saying, "Oh, good riddance, good riddance to him." Uh, not me though. Not me though. I think he's been a unique, calming personality and presence on RNZ, a soothing, calm companion in the evenings. Yes. And even when the words know, don't uh, come out right, it's true. But he is going to concert FM, which I think you know. Will suit his personality perfectly. Yes, you know, even even more so, perhaps. Suits. Yeah, perhaps. You know, he, I I fear that he may actually meld with a sonata somehow, mm. like physically turn into one of Bach's symphonies. So that's a that's a risk, but that's just the breaking news I wanted to start. With. Oh, well, thanks for sharing that, Hayden. I had no idea. <laughs> Happy to pass it on. I better tell the rest of the family now. Anyway, back to that bouquet. The excellent, yes. I think you regarded this pretty good coverage, that was of the housing situation in parts of Rotorua uh, by Sunday's Kristen Hall. Yeah, excellent and important coverage, I thought. She and her producers went into motels being used as emergency housing on Rotorua's so-called Golden Mile, Fenton Street. They went undercover sometimes, and they found pretty squalid conditions facing some of the tenants, along with some pretty alarming abuses allegedly taking place and many of the complaints focused on the housing provider visions of a helping hand and its associated security company tiger so this is aiden who was evicted from her emergency accommodation after being accused of breaches of her tenancy agreement I'm scared of visions yeah <sighs> why are you scared of them because the attitude that they give when they knock at my door um they stand over me a lot um they lie, they like tell me things that I've did, but I didn't do that. And I'm just tired because I'm getting pushed out of my house and there's nowhere for me to go. Yeah, so that's that's Aiden on Kristen Hall's investigation. Now one of the one of the alleged offences that got her kicked out was having an unauthorized visitor over at her house. And the program says that that visitor was her sister who was giving birth. And uh, she was allegedly told to leave the motel while still in labour and eventually gave birth in her car and that baby later died. And this was all picked up by other media after the Sunday broadcast, right? Absolutely, it has. So, I mean, this is how RNZ's Checkpoint opened its show on Monday. A call tonight for an independent investigation into Rotorua's emergency housing train wreck, as it's described by Te Pāti Māori co-leader Rawiri Waititi. An investigation by TVNZ Sunday programme has raised serious concerns about the substandard quality of the motel accommodation that's costing millions of dollars each week and the treatment and well-being of tenants. Right. Now, another thing you wanted to talk about here is accreditation of important stories. Right, Hayden? You might have heard Kristen Hall being um, credited there with breaking the story. I mean, we have, well, I know, one Hayden Donnell of Midweek Media Watch has actually criticised our media recently for some poor practices when it comes to attribution. I think the last one that I remember is 
uh, Kirsty Johnston story for stuff breaking the Sam Uffendale scandal, and she wasn't credited all the time. So it's really good to see a bit of improvement there. I think I've seen Kristen Hall being credited quite widely with her story, The Golden Mile, uh, in breaking this. Um, in any case, it wasn't just Checkpoint. There was plenty of other media that was running this story uh, and that call for an investigation by Te Pāti Māori. You had Te Ao Māori News. The Prime Minister was challenged about the situation. The National Party accused the government of being in denial about the problem. And, of course, the main outlet that kept hammering it is the one that broke it in the first place, TVNZ. And so you had Te Karari covering the story at the top of its bulletin and Te Reo Māori as well on Monday. This has been an absolutely devastating situation for Rotorua. There is no doubt that those who are vulnerable and in need of a roof over their heads need to be looked after. What was that that we just heard there, um, Hayden? You can explain it now, in retrospect. I think I will. That was actually Tanya Tapsell's. One of the things about this story is that it's actually a small sliver of a much bigger story, and that's the housing crisis. So the people at its centre are those that can't afford to rent and who aren't able to be helped into state housing because not enough has been built. One of the local figures that have been spoken to about this is Tanya Tapsell, who you just heard, saying yeah. it's devastating. She's now running for mayor. That was her on TVNZ's Breakfast. And, and she went on to allege that many of the people that are staying on Fenton Street, they aren't locals, and that, that claim is sort of un, in, under dispute at the moment, subject to more investigation. But I think she summarised the issue well. She summarised it like this. There has been a housing hub uh, specifically set up, Te Pokapu, um, which has been a partnership with the government. But the issue is we still have people that are needing a long-term housing solution. Yeah, I think that that's true. People do need a long-term housing solution. But on that, I mean, if interviewers did look up Tapsell's recent record when it comes to providing public housing in Rotorua, they would probably find that she asked the council to reverse an in-principle decision to sell six sites to Kāinga Order. Uh, and she's justified that stance, saying the decision has been rushed. She fears local families won't get a chance to be housed. But politicians who have opposed recent efforts to develop public housing, I think should probably face scrutiny over that uh, when they're talking about a problem caused in no small part by a shortage of public housing. And I really thought those questions should have been forthcoming there. Speaking of scrutiny, it's interesting that um, Sunday, as a program, has been launching a few good investigative reports recently. This one on what's going on in Rotorua is is just one of what's been going on. Am I right? Yeah, you are. I, th- I think that this is a bit of a revival, it seems, for these kind of long-form current affairs stories, or at least for Sunday. I mean, I talked about one recently, John Campbell revealing a marriage contract that the Gloria Vale sect members are expected to sign, which they f- it forbids spouses from depriving each other of sex. He also followed up uh, another Kirsty Johnson investigation, actually, about the shocking treatment of RSE workers in the horticulture industry. All of those got pick up in the wider mainstream media. And this one by Paul has had, I think, even more pick up, and, and it's actually shaped the agenda for much of the week. Brian, we don't have 60 Minutes or 2020. There's no Campbell Live that sometimes did these kind of investigations. Even that show, Third Degree on Three, is gone. But it is good to see Sunday carrying the torch for this style of TV yeah, it's, journalism. It's, it's got us. Great to see a reporter going into the field, out of the studio, and off and investigating, which at the end is is the best journalism is finding out stuff that we don't know or isn't widely known. 
because I talked about asking Tanya Taps all the questions, but if we are appalled at the human suffering involved in Kristen Hall's investigation, uh, do we need to ask ourselves the question, how do we cover housing? And when Kanga Order proposes these kinds of public housing projects, do we contextualise the stories in this kind of desperate need experienced by these people living in motels like in Rotorua? Uh, or do we lead with the local complaints from the people who are opposed to housing? And I think recently of a Kanga Order development in the swanky Auckland suburb of Millwater, and that was put on pause after a lot of media carried stories angled on the community backlash to that project. And you had stuff like unchallenged quotes from a self-styled neighbourhood patroller on how public housing will inevitably bring a criminal element with it. And I just think maybe perhaps perhaps these stories should carry the voices of people making the case for more public housing just as prominently. Uh, but also, I think the voices of people that might benefit from it. I mean, one of the stories, one of the reasons why Hall's story is so good, is so notable, is that it platforms the voices of people that are often ignored, that are living in motels. And she did that. So I think that's congratulations and maybe something uh, for the rest of us to consider. Now, back to the other bouquet. Yes, indeed. The Herald's David Fisher came up with a story today revealing details about the origin of Northland's Level 4 lockdown back in the distant days of October 2021. And, of course, back then, I, I'm sure you remember, there was a lot of insinuations. This, this lockdown was triggered by two women who travelled north and later tested positive for COVID. And at the time, there was suggestions they were smuggled north by gangs or that there were sex workers and Winston Peters insinuated that they were taken north by Harry Tam, and he was later forced to apologise over that. Uh, but Fisher's article today just makes it really clear that the blame for the lockdown lies wholly on a bureaucratic bungle. These women were granted consent to go north, and they shouldn't have been. So here's Far North Mayor John Carter talking to Mike Hosking on News Talk ZB about that this morning. Um, Mike, it just, excuse my language, pisses you off because it makes you angry. Uh, this is just typical of the invisible, arrogant Wellington bureaucracy. Okay, I'm going to leap in there with one thing. It's like back when the story we first heard about the Northern lockdown, it was gangs, sex workers, bad. Now it's bureaucrats, bad. And I wonder if Mike Hoskin had a go at the gangs and the sex workers back then, and now he's probably saying in his Mike's Minute, bureaucrats, bad. Anyway, that's my rant. Back to you. It is now bureaucrats that are the, at the end of our ire, and probably the woman involved in Harry Tam is obviously feeling pretty aggrieved about the treatment that they received back then, and maybe the government has some questions to answer as well. Do we but, have so? Okay, you just thought, said a bit about the media and you know how we sometimes swallow the NIMBY stuff with social housing. Well, did we swallow this to some extent and critically? I mean, David Fisher has dug up a really interesting story but it's quite a long time after the fact. I think that there probably (laughs) is an element of the media that is willing to buy into sort of narratives that are spread, particularly on social media, about uh, whether it's gangs or prostitution or that sort of thing. And it may be an easy narrative, and maybe we need to actually man our defences a little bit more against sort of rumours that are spread on the internet because uh, it seems like untrue stuff can get through sometimes, and that seems to be maybe what happened here. How did Dave Fisher get the story? Was it through an OIA? Yeah, it was through an OIA. And, and that's quite 
amazing, I think, because journalists are often very crabby about the OIA process and exactly how it's administered by bureaucrats, those bureaucrats in question, and they think that it's uh, not handled well, and they're probably right about that. So it's a relatively notable achievement for Fisher that he managed to source all these emails that this story is based on without significant redactions or having to go to the ombudsman or it taking, I mean, it took 11 months, obviously, but Mm. uh, he is known as a master of the OIA craft, but this is a particularly impressive uh, feat from him. Now, finally, as as often as the case, Hayden, we've gone on and, well, I've gone on, I've slowed you down. We've got four, just under four minutes left. What do you want to talk about now? Well, I, I we have to do this. I mean, this is the worst offender I've ever seen. I've been wanting to put this show on blast for ages. Finally got my chance. Those of you who are listening to this show, RNZ's Media Watch on Sunday, would have heard a segment on the government's back down over putting GST on KiwiSaver fund fees. And in that package, the presenter Colin Peacock said this. Russell says, I think the question that is being missed here is how much are the people who supply the investment service making? How do we maintain a reasonable tax on their profit? And should there be a flat fee that is regulated? Interesting questions there, but not ones discussed in the media after the proposed change to KiwiSaver was so swiftly struck down by the government responding to the backlash, or gone by lunchtime, according to the media dining out on the debacle. Now, that's Colin Peacock. He's basically saying that when the government backtracked on its decision to uh, implement GST on KiwiSaver fund fees, that killed the media discussion. He said that the media headline, Gone by Lunchtime, which was applied to the government's tax changes, could have been applied to the media coverage as well. And that statement, while very pithy, has proved completely false in the last few days. So there has actually been quite a bit of continuing discussion about what to do with this tax loophole. Yesterday you had Henry Freer and Professor Craig Ellis writing an explainer for the Herald about what exactly the tax would do. And they had a relatively uh, scathing assessment of the media coverage of this issue so far. They said the media, which should be expected to communicate proposals accurately, got caught up in the spin and contributed to a manufactured outrage. So that's a good point in an NZME publication about manufactured media outrage. Also in NZME, you can read Heather Duplissy Allen calling this a ruthless tax that would have left us all poorer. I mean, uh, so I mean, both sides of the debate being supported there by NZME. Uh, and, and staff financial commentator Janine Starks, they, she echoed the same point from Freer and Aleph, saying that this was a story cooked up by KiwiSaver fund managers and represented a PR masterclass designed to cause political outrage while not delivering any balance to the argument. You mean uh, once again, sort of just took the initial spit and didn't and ran with it and didn't look closer. I thought this was interesting. Yeah, all these uh, uh, actual experts on tax saying this is a pretty pointy-headed discussion that got pretty badly treated in the media, and maybe we actually did buy into what Janine Stark says was a PR masterclass by these very profitable KiwiSaver fund managers who didn't want to pay extra um, tax. Uh, and also, probably there's some truth to the you know, commentators saying it was very poor political optics and poor political handling and all that sort of stuff. But okay. it's an interesting one. But I, the main point, I think, Brian, is that Colin Peacock <laughs> was completely wrong. There's been a bunch of discussion all through the week, and people have kept talking about it. Maybe not at the same volume as you know the Herald printing a front page picture of a piggy bank being smashed in the words tax <laughs> grab. Yes. But the discussion is still going, and credit to newsrooms for that. Shame Colin on Peacock. Colin Peacock. <laughs> yeah. Are you two still speaking? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see after this show. Okay. Yeah, well, fingers crossed, because you've got a show to put together. 
on Sunday, and I'm sure there'll be lots more happening in the media between now and then. Yeah, I would say so, and uh, Colin will be doing most of that. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, I <laughs> still have a job. Hayden, Hayden, thanks for your time. That's Hayden Denow with Midweek Media Watch for another midweek.